Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We are excited you're here. Today, Pastor Carolyn is giving a message called, Not My Will, But Yours. Aren't you excited that you can know what God's will for your life is? Listen in as Pastor Carolyn takes you through the Bible to show you exactly what God is leading you towards. We hope you enjoy this message. It's always dangerous to give a new person a microphone. And I forgot to do high fives this morning, so that's why we had somebody else do that part of the service, because I forgot half of what I was supposed to do. Anyway, so um, I want to greet you all today. Pastor CJ and Cheryl are in New Mexico, and Pastor Cheryl was invited to give a women's seminar on Saturday, so that's why they're there, and then they're going to Chicago to be with... Uh, Andy Stanley's doing a conference in Chicago. And I'm jealous because I would have liked to go to that one too. I got an email on it and I said, oh shoot, I can't go. Anyway, um, so anyway, you get me today? Aren't you blessed? So I'm piggybacking on Pastor CJ's Missing Peace series. And going into, not my will, but yours be done. Um, I, um, long ago, thought that God wanted me to be a teacher of the word and travel the United States like Joyce Meyer or Beth Moore or somebody like that. A little beyond my capabilities and what happened to me along the way. But it's so exciting that he uses those things, even though it's kind of like, whoopsie, you have a little thing to get rid of on that one, Carolyn. But in the, in the interest of teaching, I, I, um, we went to several types of teachings and theologies that were in the 70s and the 80s, really strong. And I thought, part of what was wrong is they'd focus on one scripture. And, and there'd be other scriptures that said almost 180 degrees different, but they didn't talk about those. They just talked about their one scripture and developed a whole theology around one scripture, but it didn't fit in with the whole Bible. And particularly some stuff about the book of Job, which I just... and. So what I felt is if God was going to lead me into this teaching ministry, I needed to make sure I didn't do that. And so I started reading through the Bible every year for years and years and years. This year I'm not doing as well. I'm just doing the New Testament instead of the whole Bible. But I wanted to know what the whole Bible said if I'm going to teach because I don't want to teach something that's strange because it talks about strange teachings being in the end times, and I didn't want to be one of those strange teachers. So, but it's amazing to me how you can read something, recite something for practically your whole life and not get it. So the Lord's Prayer all of a sudden became different to me, the first part of it. And being a good Lutheran girl, growing up in Lutheran church, every Sunday we said the Lord's Prayer. But it was recently that I looked at the first part of the Lord's Prayer. So Matthew 6, 9 and 10 is where Jesus gave this prayer to his disciples because they wanted to know how to pray. And it starts this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, how? On earth as it is in heaven. And honestly, if I look at the United States today, I don't think his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. Yet that's what Jesus told us to pray for. So recently, thinking about this, I decided that the topic that God wanted me to talk about was God's will. Now, it's not my usual favorite topic, which is love, but I think it's what we need to know because God has a plan for our church, and we need to get on board with God. And so 
Jesus had this thing, so my prayers should be what happens in this church is his will like it would be in heaven. Now we look at heaven and we say, how many people believe that there's sickness in heaven? Raise your hand. Oh, I don't see anybody. How many people believe that there are crabby Christians in heaven? I don't think so. I think we're going to be really happy when we see Jesus. How many people think that when we get to heaven, it's my way, not God's way? My way or the highway is not going to go in heaven because it's definitely his way in heaven, not my way. All those things are things that we find happening in the church that shouldn't be. If we want our church to be on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's a goal that's attainable. I don't think that that's not attainable. All it takes is for us to be willing to be able to bow to the will of Jesus, not to our own will. Because this is Jesus's church, not my church, it's not your church, not Pastor CJ's or Pastor Cheryl's church. It's not even Jeff Lowe's church. It's, all, it's Jesus' church, and we have to remember that. It's really key to the church culture. Who's the boss of this church? And I will tell you that I know Pastor CJ believes Jesus is the boss of this church, not him. And so, anyway, there are lots of scriptures about God's will that are pretty obvious. My favorite one outside of another favorite one, outside of another favorite one, is Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And Jesus said, when they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now I'm using for most of the scriptures a New Living Translation today because um, I really like it as a study Bible. I like to always check things because sometimes um, the wording is a little different than what maybe what I would think it should be, but I love all the different ver versions that we have today because you learn something new going, looking at a different version. It's not, there's nothing more fun than looking at a verse from four or five different versions and you get f a little different flavor because of the different translators. And that gives you a more well-rounded picture of the scripture. But anyway, <clears throat> this one is God told us to do two things, love him and love others. And Jesus said it fulfills everything. So in all reality, that's all I need to know about the whole Bible is to love God and love others. And all the rest of it is fulfilled in that, except for the fact we need to know what it means to love God and love others. And that's what the rest of the Bible tells us. For example, in John 14, 15, John wrote, or Jesus spoke this, if you love me, you will obey me. Well, how can I obey God if I don't know what he tells me to do? Pretty hard, because just like when you have your kids, they'll do what you tell them to do, won't they? Because they obey their mom and their dad. And you're saying, I love my mom and dad, therefore I obey them, right? <laughs> not always and we don't always obey God either do we but that's our goal the goal is to love God and love others and if we fulfill those two things by learning what the Bible says about love and you can learn what it says in 1 Corinthians 13 that's the big love chapter and I liked that chapter until it got to love is not irritable. <laughs> and I was like, I'm so irritable. How can I? <laughs> that was my big thing when I first became a Christian. Every time I read 1 Corinthians 13 and it came to love is not irritable, I'd say, oh, because <laughs> I was, my husband would have said I was very irritable at that point in my life. So anyway, but 
gave me the information I was not supposed to be that way. Anyway, so the next thing that, um, thing that we know is God's will is in 2 Peter 3.9, and that says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, meaning when he's returning, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God wants everyone saved. There's not a person that he allowed to be born on this earth that he did not intend for his kingdom. Now, we always have the choice, and people have the choice whether we want to be in his kingdom or not, but that's not God's perfect will. His perfect will is for everyone to come to him. So we know that evangelism is a really big thing for us as Christians to help those people outside the kingdom get in the kingdom because that's our major job, whether we're evangelists or whether we're just people. God wants us to be the kind of people that other people are attracted to so they're also attracted to Jesus. And so, so we have a role to play in getting everybody saved. Now, when I took classes in the 70s and 80s on God's will, it was really big around that time. Everybody wanted to know God's will for their life. So you went to this class, and they taught you about your giftings, and you take a test, and you'd find out what your giftings were. And then they'd give you different ministry options that you could have, so you'd try those all out, and you'd try and figure out what it was that God really... And I never knew what God really wanted me to be and what he wanted me to do. It just seemed like there were so many options. Which one is the one? And if I pick the wrong one, it's going to ruin my whole life because I'm not doing his will. But they never used this next verse. And we're going to do the verses before and after this one because so I, I want it in context. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 22, we're going to go through. Um... Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. Sounds like love to me. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ, Jesus. Oh, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. So, be joyful, be prayerful, be thankful. God's will for us. Oh, how simple is that? I don't have any trouble being joyful all the time. Except when my dog does something I don't like, right? <laughs> I don't have to worry about my husband anymore. He's in heaven with Jesus, and I don't have to worry about him doing something to make me crabby because he used to love to make me mad. I think he got great joy in seeing Mount Vesuvius go whoom in his presence. Until the day I finally figured it out and I laughed instead I got mad and I thought, well, victory. I had supernatural victory that day. But the funny thing was, the very things that I thought were so funny and fun when we were dating became Mount Vesuvius things once we were married. Different perspective on something. What if we were all joyful all the time? It'd be fun. I like to have fun. I like to laugh. I like to be happy. I don't like the other side of the fence very much, even though there are events that happen in your life that are hard to be joyful in because there are tough things that happen to people, and some people have tougher things that happen in their life than other people do. But joy doesn't depend on our circumstances. It depends on our Savior. And when we allow his spirit to live in us and work in us, what's the second fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy. We have joy residing in us all the time. All we have to do 
is open ourselves to the Holy Spirit to get it. But I know sometimes when I come into the parking lot here, I'm just kind of like, it's time to go to church again. Got to do this, got to do that. And I open the door and I make this decision, no, I'm going to be joyful here. I'm not going to be crabby. I'm not going to be down. I'm not going to be all that kind of stuff because I have the choice to be crabby, to have my own way or the highway. I don't like the way you're doing it because I have a better way. All those things rob me of joy. All those attitudes rob me of being what God wants me to be, which is joyful. That's what it said in the word. Not my idea, it's all his. So some of the benefits of joy in Nehemiah, um, it was a strange time. The Israelites had gone into Babylon, been taken into captivity, and now they were going back to Jerusalem, rebuilt the wall, and they started a study of the law of time, and they read the law and commented on it so that all the people knew how they were supposed to act with God. And you know what happened to the people? They started crying because they were so far beneath what God wanted them to be. They were so doing things that he didn't want them to do and, he and not doing what he wanted them to do. And so Nehemiah said this while they're in this tearful way, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. For this is a sacred day before the Lord. They were reading his word. It was a sacred day. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It wasn't said in a time when everyone was feeling happy and wonderful. It was in a time they were feeling sad because they saw what God wanted them to do and they were living so far beneath that. But he said, the strength is in joy. The second one in Philippians 4.4, 4, ah, always be joy, full of joy in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. In fact, there was a song about that, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. All of you who went through the 70s know that song. <laughs> anyway, joy is supposed to be a lifestyle for us as Christians. Okay? Because we know whose we are. We know where we're going. We know who loves us. Therefore, we should be happy. Awesome. Then in 1 Peter 1.8, he says, If you love him even though you have never seen him, though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Now the old version, like King Jimmy said, with, you rejoice with joy in, ah, right now I'm a joy, who, someone, unspeakable and full of glory, but word didn't want to come forth for my brain. But anyway, joy unspeakable and full of glory, isn't that awesome? That's what God wants our faith to show. If my faith is strong, I should be happy because I know whose I am and where I'm going and what I'm about and who loves me. And if God loves you, holy cow, that's pretty outstanding. Who else could love me better than God? Not anybody. Not even my dog, Sophie, can love me better than God. That's what happens when your husband dies and you have a dog. <laughs> so then in Psalm 511, praise is just, just awesome. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. We take refuge in God, don't we? On a daily basis. He's the one that comes and keeps us safe and all. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Let us sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection, God, over all of those that you have in refuge. Isn't that wonderful? 
that's a result of being, thank, being full of joy. And, and that all who love your name may be filled with joy. If we realize who God is and what he has for us, we will be the happiest of people. So the second one is being prayerful. And I don't know, sometimes people get these really strange ideas about what prayer is. But really, it's all just talking to God, just like I'm talking to you now, you know? Except we usually shoot off our mouth and we don't listen to him enough because it's really a two-way conversation. <laughs> and I love it when he answers something, when he tells you something. And he has so many ways of doing that. Sometimes he actually, you can hear his voice in your head and he tells you, go call that person. Or I want you to read this scripture, or I want you to think about this scripture this way. Or sometimes just reading the word itself tells you what he wants. And sometimes people will say something to you. And it's really God trying to tell you something. So it's really something. And the other thing I learned is that honesty is the best policy with God. If you are mad at him, let him know because he already knows. He doesn't want us to be phony with him. You can tell God anything. And if you don't believe me, read the Psalms because David told him everything. Get rid of my enemies. Slaughter them. I mean, he has some really, these people that say the Psalms are so beautiful only read two or three. <laughs> 23, one, and 150. And all the rest of them, Paul's telling you the truth about how he feels. We can tell God exactly how we feel. But then what happened with Paul? When he talked to Saul, did he say, you terrible person did when he contacted him did he kill him when he had the opportunity no because he took all that stuff to God so he could act like God wanted him to with Saul and that's why God says be honest with me because I can handle all your stuff I know what's going on in your head anyway you might as well confess it because anything you're trying to hide from me is not hidden Believe you me, it's not hidden. So he wants us to be honest with him. So then um, I put two psalms here on getting to know God because we're not going to go over them here, but it's something that you can use as a basis for prayer if you have any issues with prayer because just personalize them um, and use your name inside them and use you as talking as though you are actually praying those things to God. And they're really helpful for giving, for teaching you how to pray because actually all those psalms are really prayers that David prayed. Then in, in Matthew 21, 22, it says you can pray for anything. That's a pretty blanket prayer thing. And if you have faith, you will receive it. Okay? Um, I love it when I pray for something and God really answers it like that. But it does require us to have faith. And all of these things require it. To be joyful requires faith on our part. Because sometimes it's not convenient to be joyful. It's convenient to be crabby and mad and angry. Sometimes we don't want to pray. <clears throat> And then sometimes, like James 4, verse 3, we want to pray for wrong motives. <clears throat> I guess I skipped one there. I skipped the avoid temptation one. <clears throat> um, but James 4, 3 says, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And um, being a Christian as long as I was during the, not this last election, but the election before, I was praying for a different outcome than what happened in the election. And I was a little ticked with God when it didn't turn out my way. And I said, but God, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and you didn't answer my prayer. And he said, 
didn't have to. You didn't ask correctly. You asked amiss. And I said, me? Ask amiss? Not me. I've been a Christian 40-some years. I don't ask amiss. And he said, you did. And I said, well, what did you mean, God? He said, you prayed what you wanted to pray, but you never asked me what I wanted you to pray over that circumstance. So needless to say, the last election, I altered my prayers, and the result was much nicer. So I think that sometimes we don't get what God wants because we don't have the right motivation. That's the only place in scripture that God says he won't really answer our prayers, except a couple other places where it says, you have sin in your life that you don't want to get rid of, so I'm not going to answer your prayers. Then there's three more ways we have in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 6, he says, When you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. There's a great reward for praying in your secret time alone with God. There's a great reward in praying with other people too. But we need to have that time with him alone where we can be totally honest with him and totally listening to him. Then in verse chapter, that same chapter, verse 5, I love this verse. When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they will ever get. Have you ever said to somebody broned on in prayer for a whole long time and you're thinking, oh, when are they ever going to finish that prayer? Well, you think, were they praying for God or for people? We're supposed to pray honest prayers, not prayers to impress the crowds of how well you can speak the English language. And then the third one is verse 7. When you pray, don't babble on and on as, other people, as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. This doesn't mean we don't pray more than once over a circumstance when it's a bad circumstance. But what it means is you don't continually say the same words over and 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 keep on saying those same words, thinking that you're convincing God that he should answer. Because we also know that there's this these story that Jesus told about the widow that came to the unjust judge and he finally gave her what she wanted because she annoyed him so much. So God doesn't mind for us to come over and over praying for something, but what he's talking about is we need to be humble in our prayers. And so, so how do we pray all the time? When I'm in the grocery store, a lot of times I don't feel like praying. When I'm uh, doing some work around the house, especially vacuuming, I really don't feel like praying. But sometimes, like when I'm in the grocery store, all of a sudden I'll find my saying, 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 I love you, Jesus. And it came out of somewhere. So I realize that we have our spirit and we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And a lot of times we're praying, we don't even are consciously aware of it. But when we have that attitude of prayer, I love it. I love the fall colors now. And I was in Colorado last week, and they don't have any red there. They have a lot of yellow, bright yellow, but they don't have any red. So when I came back and I saw the red maples, I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. And when you look at, I love to garden, so we'll have little gardening things in here. But sometimes there's some teeny, tiny little flowers that you can hardly see. You have to bend over to see them. But they're so sweet and so pretty. Thank you, Jesus. And then there's the big ones, you know, the gorgeous ones. Birds of paradise and all these kind of wonderful ones we don't have growing here outside. And they're beautiful. And then somebody does something nice to you and you thank Jesus for it. Or 
golly, God, I'm so grateful for all the family that you've given me. All those things. There's so many times when you just have to thank Jesus for being who he is and providing for us what he does. So it is possible to pray all the time, but we might not be conscious of it all the time. But I think the more I pray consciously, the more I pray unconsciously, because you get in that attitude of prayer. Now, the last one, be thankful in everything. Oh, I don't like that one. I used to hate that. I said, God, you, you didn't really mean that, did you? You didn't mean when I'm having an argument with my husband, I'm supposed to be thankful in everything. Well, I was supposed to be thankful for him. <laughs> so yes, in everything, I could be thankful. There's a lot of people, though, that have really serious things happening in their life. It's not easy. They live lives that a lot of abuse and a lot of terrible things happen to them. How can you be thankful in those things? I'm reminded that Jesus also said in Romans chapter 8, he said, or through Paul he said, God works together good for in everything for those who are called according to his purpose, who love him and are called according to his purpose. He works everything for good. Even the worst things, he can bring good out of it. Whether it's through the survival of it, you get to know him better, you feel his comfort. I had a friend who, who was sick, and she lived with us for a while, and um, I got to know her because she was suicidal. And that was one of my better foot-in-the-mouth times I was talking with her. I asked her if we could go someplace and talk before she committed suicide. So we got together, and she's talking and telling me all the things in her life that were awful, and they were awful. They were awful, awful. I couldn't believe how awful they were. And then all of a sudden, out of my mouth pops, oh, I've never talked to somebody who wanted to commit suicide before. <laughs> and I thought, oh, put your foot in your mouth. <laughs> the absolute worst thing I could have said to her, but she knew I was for real when I said that. Because who would say that? <laughs> I kind of think to somebody who wants to commit suicide, you're trying to dampen it, not make it even more, worse. Um, but she had some really serious events when she wanted to commit suicide, and she always felt the presence of God in the midst of it, so she didn't do it. And God, another when she was, she was living with us for a while, and I had an um, Irish setter who was a wonderful dog at that time, and she used to take the dog for a walk, and because of her disease, she would sometimes stumble and fall, and Rusty would stay right there with her, wouldn't move until she could get back up and they could continue their walk. Well, she was very suicidal one day, and she took the dog with her, and she was on this walk overpass over the freeway, and she wanted to just throw herself off, but she couldn't because of the dog. She couldn't be sure the dog would find his way home without her. And I thought all of those ways that God works for good in that circumstance. And, um, and then a couple years ago, I, I decided to be a Romans 8.28 woman. And anytime something bad happened in my life, I would look for the good in it. And I really didn't have anything really super bad that year. I have to confess that, first of all. But by halfway through the year, nothing bad happened. Because you're programmed to look for the good before the bad even hits you over the head with baseball bat. And it was a wonderful year. And then did I remember that the next year? No, I had to be reminded because I kind of forgot, got out of the habit. And then I had something happen and I thought, I've got to look for the good in this. And he was always faithful to find, I could find something good, even if it's because somebody came along to help you through something. Sometimes God sends people, and that's the good, that you get to know somebody that helps you, goes alongside you with all the stuff that's going on, and that's the good that comes out of it. So you're not left alone. 
<clears throat> well, being thankful, there's, we have some ones here. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thank God that he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's something to thank him for. It's a victory that we have in Jesus. So in Celebrate Recovery, I'm working on procrastination. And as I said earlier, I'm procrastinating, working on procrastination. <laughs> and the people who come to Celebrate Recovery know all my things with procrastination. But this verse tells me I have victory over that. Okay? And the victory may take a while before I get there, but God already has it for me. All I have to do is start finding it and using it. Isn't that exciting? And then Ephesians 1.16. There are several verses like this. I just chose this one. Where Paul says, I have not stopped thanking God for you, Ephesians. I pray for you constantly. Be thankful for the people that God puts in your life. Some of them are a little on the cantankerous side, but look how you learn to get along with people. If everybody was super sweet and super nice, like, I am, you wouldn't have any trouble. You wouldn't even have any growth. It's the people that are the thorns in the side that kind of help you grow and get to, to be able to be more like Jesus because they stretch you more. Then in 1 Timothy 1.12, we're thankful for ministry. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. You know, God has a service for everybody in this church. There, there's lots of opportunities to serve in this church. There are lots of places that need help in this church. And God has an opportunity. He gives us opportunities to serve, and he gives us the strength to do the work. And I thought that was really cool because sometimes you don't, you know, you get tired of it. Talk to Crystal sometimes. I'm sure she's tired of children's church all the time, and she needs a heck of a lot more help. But she does it for the joy of the Lord and for the glory that he gives her and the power and strength. And then in Revelations 11:17, the angels are praising God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and who always was, for now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. And we have the power of God in our life, and that's something to be thankful for. His great power. And yes, he's going to have greater power, and it's going to show more when Jesus comes again, but there's power available today. It's not, he's not waiting for Jesus to come to give us power to live our lives the way he wants us to live them. And then in Luke 17, 15, and 16, it's about healing. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. What I like about this story is there were 10 of them, 10 of them, not just five. They were all healed. Jesus told them to go see the priest because that was what they were supposed to do according to the law. But this one guy came back and said, thank you, Jesus. And Jesus said, and, Jesus, and he was a Samaritan. He wasn't even a Jew. I love when Jesus does stuff like that. It kind of really hits you. The non-believer is the one that came back, not the one that's supposed to be the believer, right? So, but anyway, Jesus said, where are the other nine? When we're not thankful, we're like the other nine. When we're not thankful for the things he's given us, life he's given us, the people he's put in our lives, the people that we love and the people we don't like so well, all of them. Are we being like the nine instead of the one? We're grateful for, we're glad that we got healed, but we didn't say thank you. So being thankful is really important. Then in Hebrews 13, 15, this one used to really get me. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. 
Sacrifice of praise. Sometimes it's a sacrifice to thank God <clears throat> because the situation is awful, because we're feeling crummy, we're sick and we're not getting well. There's so many times when it's a sacrifice to give thanks to God for what's going on in our life. But to God, those times are the best of all, when you can give him thanks in a really bad situation. Think how happy that makes him. Because then you're acting like Jesus, because do you think he was complaining when he was hanging on the cross? I don't think so. And that had to be pretty painful. So he, his example is one that's wonderful for us. <clears throat> so when I was in all those classes, they were telling me about what I could do. But I think God's will is more about who I am rather than what I do. Because who I am influences people around me. What I do can influence them too. That's, but if I don't do in the attitude of Jesus, I might as well not bother because how many people have been turned away from Jesus by crabby, cranky, complaining Christians? Cheapo ones that go to the restaurant and leave a track instead of a dollar tip. I mean, <clears throat> we're not going to win the lost with those attitudes. But we will if we're loving God, loving others, joyful, prayerful, and thankful. Because people like you when you're happy. They're drawn to you when you're thankful and grateful for the things they do for you. <clears throat> I think God cares more about who we are than what we do. Yet he does care about our service because that comes out of who we are. If I love Jesus and I love others, I want to help others and do the things that God put me on this earth to do. He didn't, none of us are here for, for a, everybody is here for a reason. God didn't put anybody on this earth for nothing. I just put that person on there to fill the chair in the front row of the church. Nope. He had something good for you to do that would make you happy and people around you happy. I think service makes us happy. <clears throat> Then last night, um, before I went to sleep, I got this idea, and so I gave it the first service. We're giving it the second one, too. <clears throat> we are a team of Christians called Adventure Church, cobbled together by God to turn Polk Burnett County upside down. <clears throat> when the first apostles and disciples went out in the world and started preaching Jesus, what did the people say? They've turned the world upside down. I firmly believe that God put this church in this place for this time to turn Burnett and Polk County upside down, to get people saved. There are 15,000 people in Burnett County I don't know how many live in Polk County, but it's going to be more than 15,000. I know that. that. And most of them don't know Jesus. We don't have 15,000 people sitting in this church. Or if you put all the churches together. And I think our church is supposed to be the kind of church that inspires other churches around to get on board to see the lost get saved. I really believe that. I believe that when we move into that building on the corner, other churches are going to say, whoa, we better get on our case too. Because they're all needed. We're all part of the same body. It's not just this church that's going to get people saved, but every church around here is going to get people saved. And not everybody's going to want to come to this church. They want to go to all the other little churches too. <clears throat> we're, we're not in the business of putting people out of business. We're in the business of putting more people in the business, right? <laughs> so 
to see every place filled with the love of Jesus and the love of people and people getting saved. I want to tell a little history about this church, and anybody who knows Dee and Neil Wilcox has heard the history. Because when Dee was three years old, a man came and knocked on her parents' home door and said, can I stay and live with you while I start a church up in Siren? Because God has called me to start a church in Siren. This is a church he started. When they were first meeting, they had months where they met every single night for, for services. <clears throat> they met in a dance hall, that, that building, and they met in tents. So this church is unique in that it wasn't a group of people that moved into this area that said, okay, we're all Lutherans or we're all Methodists or we're all Covenant or whatever. Let's hire a pastor and start a church. This is a church that was started by somebody calling, being called to start this church by God himself. And I think that's really significant. <clears throat> and I believe that every pastor that served in this church from the beginning until now was chosen by God for the season that they were here. And I believe that Pastor CJ and Cheryl were chosen to do the job of bringing revival to this area. In 1948, there was a prophecy given by two different people in two different churches that were almost exactly the same about revival starting at the headwaters of the St. Croix River and all the way down the river, 100 miles on either side. That puts us right in there. <clears throat> now, I don't care whether it hadn't started up there, because if it starts here, I'm happy. Okay? <clears throat> but I think that was 70 years ago. 70 is a significant number for God. I feel like this is the year for it to start here, and that we have the job at this church to do it. And that means that I can't have my way or the highway here. <clears throat> if somebody decides to do something and I don't like it, tough darts, okay? Because I'm part of the team. And if five people think it's a good idea and only one person doesn't like it, that one person needs to get on board with the team because the team we're a team of Christians. We're not independent people working to see God's function in this area. My passion for evangelism has never been like this in my whole lifetime. I always was like, well, I'm the teacher. You're the evangelist. But I have just a, such a heart for this place. <clears throat> it's almost 20 years that we've owned our property here, moved from the cities. And I never realized why God brought us here. But I know now, because this is, this is where he wants me to minister and get people saved. This is where I've grown in Jesus over the last 20 years in ways I would have never grown if I'd stayed in the cities. <clears throat> and so I feel, for me, but every time I walk in that door lately, I just get Goosebumps. I get so excited about what God wants to do in this church. But we, can't, we have to get on board with him because it's his church, not my church, not Pastor CJ's church, not anybody's church that's sitting here. I could name you all. It's not your church. It's Jesus' church. He's our king of kings and lord of lords, and it's our job to follow him and to listen to people who are his servants that are telling us that these are things we should do. Now, next Sunday is so exciting because after the second service at 12.15, we're going to Tesora and we are going on a tour of the building that we will probably be buying. And can you imagine what this place is going to be like with a church on that corner? Woohoo! Isn't that exciting? Everybody that gets stopped at the stoplight is going to see Adventure Church. And I'm so excited about that because I feel God wants us visible because then we can make an impact. Okay? There are a lot of people in this area that have 
said, ah, Jesus, you know, all those Christians. Blech. And we don't want, we want them to say, all those Christians. There was a place where Jesus really lives. And that's <coughs> exciting. And so that's really my purpose behind talking about God's will. <coughs> Love God with everything in you. Love one another like Jesus loves us. Be joyful. Be prayerful. And be thankful. And I don't know about you, but thinking about that stuff makes me feel good inside. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit saying, Yay, you are getting it, Carolyn. It's taken you 40 years, but you're getting it. And I think he wants all of us to get it because he's got a big job for us. There are a lot of people out there. No meth in Burnett County instead of the meth capital of Wisconsin. How about that? No alcoholics. No child and spouse abusers. How exciting. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting to think of being a part of it and having a purpose in it? So, ushers, if you would bring forward those... Thank you for listening to this week's message from Adventure Church. October is Pastor Appreciation Month. If you would like to give a financial gift to the pastoral staff at Adventure Church, please visit our website, www.adventurechurchsiren.com. Our online giving is simple and secure. Thank you so much for your generous gifts. They truly are a blessing.